Is there a baby in your life who's about to start solid foods? This can be such a confusing and stressful time. As a mom of seven, I really struggled with spoon feeding my oldest baby. But once I realized that babies can safely feed themselves real wholesome foods using the principles of baby-led weaning, feeding the rest of my babies became an actually enjoyable experience instead of something that I used to dread. Hi, I'm Katie Ferraro, college nutrition professor and dietitian specializing in baby-led weaning, and I host the Baby-Led Weaning Made Easy podcast. Each week, we cover evidence-based, safe infant feeding practices for parents and caregivers of babies who are 6 to 12 months of age. So... If you're confused by all the conflicting info you hear about starting solid foods or you want easy, actionable tips on how to safely prep food for your baby or introduce allergenic foods or figure out when to drop a milk feed, we cover all that and more, plus interviews with the world's leading feeding experts in two new episodes each week. Search Baby Led Weaning wherever you listen to podcasts and happy feeding. Well, hello there. I'm Nurse Mo, and this is the Straight A Nursing Podcast, where I teach nursing concepts and share tips on how to thrive in school and at the bedside. I am so very happy that you are here today. If it's your first time, welcome. And if it's your 1000th time, welcome back. So we're talking about obsessive compulsive disorder today, but before we do that, let's take a quick minute for our listener shout out. This one goes out to Greg, who writes this. I couldn't do it without you. I absolutely love the podcast. When I knew I was finally going back to school for nursing, I began listening to this podcast every day for the year leading up to my entry into nursing school, sometimes listening to episodes multiple times. This helped tremendously to prepare me for nursing school. I'm in my first semester and crushing nursing school because I'm able to understand the concepts at a deeper level. I talk about you all the time with my classmates and recently purchased Study Sesh, which has been even more helpful at solidifying the content I am learning and sharpening my critical thinking skills. Thank you, Nurse Mo, for an absolute grade A study tool. See what I did there? Sincerely, your study buddy. Greg, thank you so much. I love that. I love your little pun that you made. And I am thrilled that the podcast and study sesh are helping you crush nursing school. So way to go. Thank you so very much. You totally made my day. All right. Are you ready to dive into obsessive compulsive disorder? So obsessive compulsive disorder, most commonly just referred to as OCD, is a chronic mental health condition in which the individual has recurring unwanted thoughts or fears that cause a significant amount of stress that can only be relieved by performing ritualistic behavior. So it's the thoughts or fears, those recurring thoughts or fears that are the individual's obsessions. In order to make those obsessions go away, they are driven to perform those ritualistic behaviors I mentioned, which are the compulsions. Compulsions are going to be unique to each individual and include any kind of repetitive behavior, such as hand washing is a pretty common one, checking that the doors are locked over and over again, or counting in specific patterns. Now, these thoughts and activities interfere with daily life and can be extremely debilitating in some individuals. 
So let's talk about the pathophysiology of obsessive compulsive disorder. So obsessive compulsive disorder has been shown to have multiple causative factors, including genetics, brain physiology, and the individual's environment during their formative years. Neuroimaging studies show that individuals with OCD have decreased motor inhibition, so they are essentially unable to stop an action once it has been initiated. These studies also show that individuals with OCD have increased blood flow and an increased metabolic rate in certain areas of the brain, including the frontal lobes and the basal ganglia. Studies also show that decreased levels of serotonin can play a role in the development of OCD. Additional imaging studies have shown imbalances of gray matter density in some areas of the brain in individuals with OCD along with increased activity in other areas while at rest and when the individual is exposed to the subject of their obsessions. So there's a lot going on pathophysiology-wise with OCD. Again, that's going to be genetics, brain physiology, and the individual's environment during their formative years. So let's talk about who's most at risk for developing obsessive-compulsive disorder. So first of all, it's going to be more common in males and typically begins to manifest in teens and young adults, though it can begin even earlier in childhood in some cases. It tends to begin gradually and worsen over time with stressful situations causing an exacerbation in symptoms. Now, there are a variety of factors that place someone at higher risk for developing OCD. These are things like substance abuse, traumatic life events, having a family history of OCD, and the presence of another mental health disorder, such as depression or anxiety. These all would increase the risk of someone developing obsessive compulsive disorder. So one interesting risk factor occurs in children. Studies show there is a link between OCD and streptococcal infections. And this goes by the acronym PANDAS, P-A-N-D-A-S, and that stands for Pediatric Autoimmune Neuropsychiatric Disorders Associated with Streptococcal Infections. In these patients, OCD or a tick disorder appear or they worsen following a strep infection. So now let's talk about some complications of OCD. So one of the most impactful complications of obsessive compulsive disorder is the effect that it has on the individual's life. Compulsive behaviors can be so all-consuming that individuals spend a significant amount of time, even hours per day, completing their rituals. And then there are mental health complications. These include depression and suicidal ideation. In fact, individuals with OCD have a 3 to 10 times higher risk of death by suicide than the rest of the population. Additionally, a 2020 study showed that 26% of patients with OCD had attempted suicide at least once, and 20 to 46% had had thoughts of suicide at some point in their lives. Individuals with OCD can also suffer greatly in their social lives, with many having difficulties with socializing and forming or maintaining meaningful relationships. 
Physical complications can include things like skin irritation from frequent hand washing, or even serious dehydration and hypoglycemia when the compulsive behavior lasts for an extended period of time. It's not unheard of for an individual to fixate on their compulsion for 24 hours or more during an acute exacerbation and avoid food and drink during that time. So now you've got some background understanding of obsessive compulsive disorder. Let's review the nursing implications using the straight A nursing latte method. So L stands for look. How does the patient look? Basically, what are their signs and symptoms? So an individual with OCD will have both obsessions and compulsions or one or the other. Common obsessions include a need for items to be symmetrical and tidy, such as the labels on canned foods all facing the same way with equal distance between each and every can. Another common obsession might be concerns about contamination and being afraid to touch objects. Intrusive thoughts about harming oneself or others is another one. Even though they have no desire to do this, the thoughts are there. They're very intrusive. And then another one is doubt about themselves or things they've done, such as being unsure if they've locked a door or turned off the stove. So those are common obsessions. Now let's look at the compulsion side. The individual partakes in ritualistic behavior patterns as a way to manage anxiety and quell those obsessive thoughts or fears. Some common compulsions include washing, Hand washing is really common and can occur so frequently that the individual suffers from pretty significant skin irritation. Another one is counting in routine patterns and maintaining a very strict and rigid routine. Another is arranging objects so they are all symmetrical and facing the same way like those canned goods. You have the need to be really tidy and then you go and you act it out by doing it. Cleaning is another one. Checking things over and over and over and over again because you've doubted yourself, like I mentioned earlier, doubting yourself, doubting that they've done things and being unsure if they've done them correctly would lead to the compulsion of checking if the door is really locked and then walking away 10 feet and not being sure that the door was really locked and going back and doing it over and over and over again. Now, it's important to note that individuals with OCD are often described as perfectionists and inflexible, though being a perfectionist is not diagnostic for OCD. Neither is double-checking things occasionally, which we all do from time to time. I can't tell you how many times I've gotten about a mile away from my house and just thought, nope, I got to turn around. I've got to go look because I don't remember turning off the iron or I don't remember turning off the stove. I'm going to go check. I've done that a handful of times. We all do that. That doesn't mean we have OCD. In order for the behavior to be associated with OCD, the behaviors must be causing significant life impairment and distress in the individual. So according to the National Institute of Mental Health, the distinguishing features of OCD are, one, an inability to control the thoughts or behaviors, even when they know they're unnecessary or unreasonable. Two, spending at least one hour per day on the obsessions or compulsions. Three, while the compulsions do not provide pleasure, the individual does experience less anxiety by doing them. And four, the individual's life is significantly affected by the intrusive thoughts and or behaviors.
Now, in addition, some people with OCD may also display motor or vocal tics, so that's something else that you might notice. Motor tics manifest as brief, repetitive movements like blinking, grimacing, or jerking. Vocal tics can manifest as sniffing repeatedly, clearing the throat over and over again, or making grunting sounds. Now, because the condition's severity can range from mild to very severe, remember that not all individuals with OCD display overtly noticeable behaviors. Many can and do lead what appear to be normal lives. So the next letter in the LATTE method is A, how do you assess the patient with OCD? An important nursing assessment involves asking the patient specific questions about their symptoms. These include things like, do you have recurring thoughts that are disturbing to you and that you cannot get out of your head? Or do you frequently wash, clean, or continuously check things such as doors and locks? Another one is, are you unable to function adequately because of the time it takes to complete the checking or the cleaning? And another is, do you regularly think about specific things or engage in behaviors to help calm your nerves? Note that we are not using these questions to diagnose the individual's OCD, but rather to monitor their response to treatment. We'll talk about diagnosis in just a moment. Hello, listeners. This is Ann Bogle, author, blogger, and creator of the podcast, What Should I Read Next? Since 2016, I've been helping readers bring more joy and delight into their reading lives. Every week, I tech all things books and reading with a guest and guide them in discovering their next read. They share three books they love, one book they don't, and what they've been reading lately. And I recommend three titles they may enjoy reading next. Guests have said our conversations are like therapy, troubleshooting issues that have plagued their reading lives for years and possibly the rest of their lives as well. And of course, recommending books that meet the moment, whether they are looking for deep introspection to spur or encourage a life change or a frothy page turner to help them escape the stresses of work, school, everything. You'll learn something about yourself as a reader, and you'll definitely walk away confident to choose your next read with a whole list of new books and authors to try. So join us each Tuesday for What Should I Read Next? Subscribe now wherever you're listening to this podcast and visit our website, whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com to find out more. Other assessments for a patient with OCD can include things like asking the patient to rate their anxiety level. You also want to observe the patient for signs of anxiety. These can, of course, manifest differently for each individual, but some common ones include restlessness, irritability, increased activity, maybe pacing, an inability to focus, things like that. You also want to assist the patient in identifying situations, kind of doing a self-assessment of situations and events that cause them anxiety, which then can lead to their compulsive behavior. You also must assess for signs of depression and suicidal ideation. When necessary, perform a suicide risk assessment. Maintain one-to-one observation of the patient if they show signs of suicidal ideation and you are believing that they are a danger to themselves or they state they are a danger to themselves. And alert the MD immediately. Do not leave the patient alone. A commonly used suicide risk screening tool is the SAD person scale, which looks at 10 factors and assigns a point to each. And the scale is meant to be used by non-psychiatric individuals. So it's very 
very user-friendly for a broad range of healthcare workers. A score overall of 0 to 4 indicates a low risk, a score of 5 to 6 indicates medium risk, and a score of 7 to 10 indicates a high risk. So there are a few different versions of this scale out there. When I was doing my research for this episode, there's a sad person scale, there's modified sad person scale, and I even saw a couple within that were slightly different. But a common scale includes these items. Though note that there could be a tiny bit of variability depending on what your facility or your school is using. So each letter correlates to a component of the scale. S stands for their sex, males getting a point because they're more likely, females getting zero points in that area. A is for age, D is for the presence of depression, P indicates if they've had a previous attempt or not, E is for excessive alcohol or substance use. R is for rational thinking loss. S is for social support being lacking or deficient. O means organized plan. Do they have a plan or not? N means no spouse. And then S is for sickness. And that would be whether or not they are ill at this time. Now, there are other suicide risk screening tools out there. This is just one. You also want to observe for complications associated with the individual's specific compulsion. For example, if the patient washes their hands repeatedly, check for skin irritation and skin breakdown. If the individual has engaged in exceedingly long periods of ritualistic activity, they could be at risk, again, for dehydration and even hypoglycemia because they're not eating or drinking anything while they're engaged in their behavior. The next letter in the latte method is a T, and that looks at the tests that are conducted for a patient with OCD. Now, there's no specific test for obsessive compulsive disorder. Evaluation and diagnosis is typically going to be done by a psychiatrist and involves interviewing the patient about their symptoms. The criteria for OCD include the presence of obsessions and or compulsions, the obsession or compulsion behavior must cause distress and persist for more than one hour per day. So a significant amount of time spent on the obsession or compulsion. Along with that, the obsession or compulsion interferes with daily life, including the ability to work effectively. And the individual symptoms are not a result of things like substance abuse, medications they may be taking, or an underlying medical or mental health condition. Now let's look at treatments. The next letter in the latte method is a T for treatments. So obsessive compulsive disorder is treated with psychotherapy and pharmacology. The medication class most commonly used in the treatment of OCD are going to be the SNRIs and SSRIs. These medications are understood to work because they increase serotonin levels, which may be decreased in individuals with OCD. So SNRI, the common one used here is venlafaxine, which goes by the brand name Effexor. And then lots of different SSRIs, including fluoxetine, which is Prozac, fluvoxamine, which is Luvox, sertraline, which goes by the brand name Zoloft, citalopram, which goes by the brand name Celexa, escitalopram, which goes by the name Lexapro, and paroxetine, which goes by the name Paxil. 
Now, individuals who do not achieve the desired response with one of these medications may have additional or different medications prescribed. And these could include clomipramine, which goes by the brand name anaphronil. This is a tricyclic antidepressant. Anti-anxiety agents such as buspirone or benzodiazepines may be used, such as clonazepam, alprazolam, or lorazepam. Antipsychotics such as risperidone and olanzapine may be used. And note that these medications have a lot of unwelcome side effects. One of those is sedation, another is decreased libido, and another is weight gain. Other antidepressants may be used, such as trazodone, which is another medication that affects serotonin levels, and gabapentin, which has mood-stabilizing properties. Let's talk a little bit about psychotherapy for OCD. So psychotherapy, which is talk therapy, and specifically we're talking about cognitive behavioral therapy, or CBT, is also used to treat OCD either alone or in combination with the medications mentioned above. In cognitive behavioral therapy, the individual has a safe place to experience their distressing thoughts or beliefs while avoiding the compulsive behavior that they regularly would be relying on to bring them short-term relief. Now, the practice of intentionally experiencing the stressor is called exposure therapy, and it can be a key component of cognitive behavioral therapy. Over time, the goal of therapy is for the triggering stressor to cause less and less of an anxiety response. As you can imagine, treatment done in this way can be quite intense and stressful and difficult for some patients to adhere to. Another approach is response prevention, may also be called ritual prevention. With this approach, the patient works with their therapist to avoid engaging in their compulsive behavior when they're faced with their triggering stressor, but we're not intentionally exposing them all the time. Regardless of which approach is used, the individual and therapist will work to address and reframe the underlying thoughts and fears that lead to anxiety-driven compulsive behaviors. In addition, if the individual also has depression, they may need treatment for depression prior to initiating cognitive behavioral therapy. This is because in order for CBT to be successful, the individual must have both the energy and the internal motivation to engage in therapy. Now let's talk about education. E is the last letter in the LATTE method. How do you educate the patient or the patient's family about OCD? Now, because OCD is a chronic condition, it's important for patients and families to understand that the condition is managed by therapy and medication, but will not be cured. It will be treated and managed. As such, it is vitally important they understand their goals of therapy, how to take their medications, and coping mechanisms that don't involve compulsive rituals. Some specific things to include in patient education about OCD include that therapy will require dedication and effort. They should understand that they can expect to experience short-term anxiety as they undergo therapy that should lessen over time as they stick with it. Teach the patient the importance of recognizing their specific OCD triggers. Now, if you have a patient who's taking an SNRI or SSRI, teach them that these medications can take up to 8 to 12 weeks to have any effect. 
they should also be informed that the sudden cessation of their medications can cause withdrawal symptoms and a return of OCD symptoms. You also want to teach the patient about potential side effects of their medication and strategies to mitigate them where applicable. For example, SSRIs can cause dry mouth, so chewing sugarless gum or having sugarless hard candies can definitely help. Educate the patient and family about the increased risk of suicidal thoughts and behaviors that are associated with many medications used for OCD. Ensure they understand that any suicidal ideation means the individual must receive immediate treatment and evaluation. Teach the patient and the family the signs and symptoms of serotonin syndrome, which can occur with serotonin-modulating medications. Serotonin syndrome can occur when an SNRI or SSRI is used on its own or if taken along with another medication that affects serotonin levels, such as MAOIs, some antipsychotics, and dextromethorphan, which is in a lot of cold remedies that are sold over the counter. Early signs of serotonin syndrome include confusion, diarrhea, headache, tachycardia, hypertension, dilated pupils, restlessness, shivering, twitching, and muscle rigidity. Again, those are early signs of serotonin syndrome, confusion, diarrhea, headache, tachycardia, hypertension, dilated pupils, restlessness, shivering, twitching, and muscle rigidity. And then if the patient is taking a tricyclic antidepressant, educate them on the unpleasant side effects so they know what to expect. These can include constipation, urinary retention, tachycardia, blurred vision, orthostatic hypotension, and weight gain. I hope this quick overview of obsessive compulsive disorder helps you understand this challenging and complex condition so that you can feel more confident as you are working with these patients in clinical, encountering them in the hospital. You don't have to be in a mental health hospital in order to see patients with OCD and, of course, on your nursing school exams if you are a student. So please join me back here next week. Nothing would make me happier. And we'll be talking about a condition that is not very common but can occur when individuals undergo surgery, and that is malignant hyperthermia. So I will see you back here next week for that. And if you found this episode helpful, then please make sure you're following the show, subscribe to the show. And I'd especially love if you would take the time to rate and review the show to let me know how it's helping you. So I will see you back here next week. Bye for now. This podcast is brought to you by Straight A Nursing.